And there came a day. A day unlike... Wait. No, that's been done. Hmm. Who knows what evil lurks in... No, that is that other thing. What has yellow skin and rights? Ah, forget it. You're listening to Panelology. Excelsior, oh, damn it. Welcome to episode 248 of Panelology. I'm Alex. And I am Brian. We've done it. We have survived January of 2021. We have. If you are listening to this, you are listening from February. <laughs> Woohoo! Technically, technically, Brian and I could still bite it in January. <laughs> but that there, yeah, there's, uh, there's about 14 hours left here. There, there, 13 and a half, something like that. Uh, short of a falling ceiling fan or something like that, I don't know what's going to what's gonna take me out, because I'm not leaving my house again today. Uh, well, I have to go do some work on my parents' wire shelves in their closet, so if I impale myself on their wire shelving, that would be about, about it for me. Yes. <laughs> Twas organization killed the beast. <laughs> That's it. Fair enough. I love it. Okay. Well, you know what I love? Comics. Future state. Comics in yes. general, future state specifically. Yeah, future state good stuff. All right. Once again, uh, blah, 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 chronological order by story. Yes. We are going to begin at what I think is actually the earliest book of any of them chronologically Batman Superman number one. Set in 2025, preceding the events of Arkham Knight's Batgirls, the next Batman, Catwoman, Gotham City Sirens. Harley Quinn, Grifters, Nightwing, Outsiders, Red Hood, and Robin Eternal. <laughs> yes. It's the one book in 2025 with Bruce Wayne as Batman. Correct. Uh, and it's the one book in which Superman shows up in Gotham and very quickly learns, no, this is probably not the place for Superman to be now. Right? Like, how is Superman a bad thing for showing up? Um. Yeah, when, uh, <laughs> reasons. Yeah, which we'll get to, but first, this was written by Jean Luen Yang, art is by Ben Oliver, colors are by Arif Prianto, and letters by Tom Napolitano. Ben and Arif, it's... holy cow, did you do a good job. Uh-huh, this oh, is my... a gorgeous book. This is beautiful. That, that kind of, it's, it's an early page, the, the splash page of Superman catching that train. Uh huh. That is just like okay. That is just primo stuff right there. Yeah, yeah. This is. I would put it up there as one of my favorite future state books. Uh, you know what? I think I probably would too. I really, really enjoyed this. I think part of what puts it there is, in fact, that it gives us this early view uh -huh. of Gotham, Gotham's status quo changing and how it is changing. Uh, I also just, and this is a good thing since he's going to be writing this book ongoing in March. I really like the way Yang writes Batman and Superman together. I would agree. That friendship is there, but at least in this book, it's not just about the ways they 
complement each other. Mm-hmm. It's also a little bit about the ways that they are out of water in each other's environment, or at least that Superman is a little out of a, a little bit of fish out of water in Gotham. Well, he understands that it's not that. Yeah, that it's not what he's used to, and he doesn't know how he normally would deal with something. May not be the best approach here. Yeah, yeah. He his his earnest belief in people comes across a little bit as naivete in this issue. Yeah. And as someone who is like a big fan of Superman for his belief in people and his wanting to see the best, I do think there is something interesting about like when he is in Gotham, when he is with Batman, if he doesn't trust Batman's read of the situation, like he will kind of end up a little over his head. Yeah. I I do like there's some there's some really really just almost throwaway kind of things that happen that I think help define like these characters and who they are and what their beliefs are. Like there's one point where they're going through the underground and there's these homeless folks who are trying to start a fire in a, in a barrel. Right. Mm -hmm. And like the matches are wet, so he can't get it started. And Superman just literally, as he's walking by, just uses heat vision, starts it up. And they're like, thanks Superman. He's like, glad I could help. And like, you know, keep moving, like, just that, like, that's him, right? Like, even the super minor little kind of things, Superman's gonna do. Yeah, well, and I, I'm i going to quibble with a, a word you used a moment ago. I don't think they're throwaway at all. I think they're small and they're, they're little things, but they are, like, very intentional character beats. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. And, and yeah. I, and I meant... I guess the way I should have phrased it was not throw. They're throwaway in the sense that they're presented as throwaway moments, but I don't think they are. Yeah, it's it's something right. Superman does without thinking twice. It, that's one hundred percent correct. That's yeah. the right the right phrasing. Yeah. Um, and then we get again kind of the flip side there. Batman's like, Clark, you need to keep a low profile. Not all of us are sitting out here with the world knowing who we are. Yeah. Uh, like it is, it's nice to see the contrast between them, and I think that that's really effective here. And then the other thing that I just like this was totally. I'm guessing this 100 percent had to be Ben Oliver. I don't think I. I would love to see if this was in the script, but when Batman pulls out his USB stick to do something to the computer, it's it's got a little charm attachments of a, a Batman head and the Superman shield on, uh-huh. on it. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, this is this is my team-up flash drive. This, this is my world's <laughs> finest flash drive. <laughs> um, Before we move on, I want to mention the character designs for the people who are using the false face serum. Yes. Because they just look great. They're really well designed, and those sort of transitional moments or moments when people can't control the changes also look really like natural but unnerving. Boy, it's almost like uh, it's almost like um, if if Ben Oliver did an Animorphs comic book, he would be really good at it, huh? Oh, you know that's actually an excellent point. Um, <laughs> as a side note, if you want an Animorphs comic, there is one out, and yeah. it is excellent. There you go. Uh, shout out to Chris Grine, who has been on Minds at York to talk about it. Uh, moving on yeah. to slightly later in 2025, we are going to talk about Dark Detective number two's 
back up first. Okay. Uh, and that is Red Hood. This is written by Josh Williamson. Art is by Giannis Milano-Giannis. Colors by Jordi Belair and letters by Troy Pateri. Uh, and we're talking about this first because it's actually set before the main feature. Right. This is one of the big surprises, I think, for me. I think so, too. I for was not of, expecting this. Uh, I was not expecting this to be what it was. I think, the, I think there are a couple of reasons why it was a surprise for me. One is Red Hood on his own doesn't normally do a lot for me personally. I I can understand that. Um and I think that Josh Williamson recognizes some of the dangers of Red Hood on his own because yep. the characters around him and the cast that supports him really do I think help sell this story. He reminds me in some way which is probably appropriate of exactly what we said about Deathstroke when Christopher yeah. Priest started that run, right? It really is about the supporting cast and the people you put around him that, that is success or not. Yeah, and I think the way that this book is set up, it lets him just kind of be silent and brooding so much in ways where his silence and his refusal refusal to respond says what he needs to say. Agreed. Uh, when he is with magistrate members who are goading him for helping bring in masks his silence and refusal to commit and refusal to play still sets him as being not part of the joke right like or not I'm, being one of the ones making the joke i'm not even going to participate in yeah i'm not even going to give you the reaction you're wanting right um and then when we see him with rose later in the issue like she drives so much of that conversation and he reacts he reacts in ways where Again, his pushing back, his resistance is the character because it's clear that he's uncomfortable in the position he's in. Yeah. Yeah, and this really puts Rose in a uh, less, like, much, much more like her father. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I am also, I guess, always 100% here for Jason and Rose, though. Yeah. Because this is the second book recently that has paired them off romantically, and yes, 100% here for it. Yeah, I can, I can get behind that. The other way that this book surprised me... <laughs> she just makes I me laugh with some of her phrasing, too. She does. Yeah. <laughs> she, she gets on the back of his motorcycle, and he's like, what are you doing? I know where his hideout is. Giddy up. <laughs> <laughs> like, what? You're like, he takes everything so seriously, and she takes nothing seriously. Yeah. Um, the other thing that really surprised me about this book is I expect a Red Hood story, especially in like the current status quo of Gotham, uh-huh. to be dark, either noir yeah. or gritty or it's grimy, very like you, street, very dirty. Like you say, especially given the state that it's in. Very daredevil, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is, like, bright and clean and gleaming. It's one of the most sort of... Utopian is not quite right, but it's almost the aesthetic you see in a utopia. Yeah. Uh, uh, versions of Gotham that we have seen in Future State. It's It almost... It reminds... And not, in, not in the content of it in any way, but in just in the aesthetic of how it's portrayed. It kind of reminds me of that... Uh, 
that that future look that they had in the 50s, like that kind of fallout type thing. Yeah. Where it's, you know, presented in these pastel or bright colors of what the future is going to look like, but it's not, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, that's... I, I, go ahead. I was going to say, that's that's... I do not know if I have read anything else that Giannis Milano Giannis has drawn, but he and Jordi Belair, I think, really set a very specific, unexpected look that helps play to just how sort of out of place Red Hood is. Yeah, I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna call an audible and, and make a my quote of the week from here too. Brian's quote of the week. Quote quote. So they go to the Bad Hatter's lair, which is Wonderland putt putt. Yes, and they go in, and uh, uh, and and they're walking through, and Rose is like, "We should do this more often." Don't get me wrong; I like our usual language of moans and grunts and the occasional scream, but no boy has ever taken me miniature golfing before. <laughs> <laughs> I also love that she doesn't entirely know the difference between Alice in Wonderland and the Wizard of Oz. Correct. Yes. The, we didn't sit around watching movies in my house. <laughs> yep, I love it. All right, then we jump forward two years to the main story, The Dark Detective. This is written by Mariko Tamaki, art is by Dan Mora, colors by Jordi Belair, and letters by Aditya Bidikar. And this continues what we saw a couple of weeks ago with uh, Bruce believed dead in hiding. And gets more into the, well, how did, he, how did the magistrate know that killing Bruce Wayne was killing Batman? Where is Bruce living all of this? Why do they think he's dead, right? Yeah. Yeah, we get that explanation, which is good. I love Bruce's roommate. I love the idea of Bruce having a roommate. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Bruce is living with this, like, paranoid, borderline conspiracy theorist who's just right enough for it to be unnerving. He's, you know, he's one of the they're-watching-you-everywhere types. It is. It rem- it it makes me think very much is is if Bruce Wayne had to live Frank Castle's life, yes. and specifically not Punisher because there's no Punisher in this, but right. Frank Castle where he has to like get in these rat dive holes to live in and like you know the person is this kind of crazy old coot or has this weird yeah. conspiracy thing yeah it very Bruce much lives here because it's the one building in the city without any kind of like biometric scanners exactly. To get in. Lock yep. and key. Exactly. And of course he has a daughter who is um somehow, you know, either a, a, a social activist or, you know, resisting from the inside or, you know, one of those things that it, you know is going to be trouble. Yeah. <laughs> Essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the, the main thrust of this is Bruce learning just how extensive the surveillance by the magistrate oh man yeah uh just also super super gorgeous i know we said that with the first issue and i don't see that ever not being true about this but i I don't don't either and like i said we we talk so much on this show about how you know there's so many different styles of art and how it's so important to fit that style to the story that you're telling yeah and this this 100 does that yeah i mean I get if you are listening and you're a fan of a more traditional comic book superhero art style, but style sets so much in terms of tone yep. and how a book feels yep. that when it does it right, like 
Yeah. And, it and, just stands out. I agree. And that's coming from somebody who does tend to prefer that yeah. traditional superhero style. Yeah. And I absolutely think there's a place for that. That sets its own tone mm-hmm. and expectations. Agreed. Agreed. Moving right along. Future State Aquaman number one. Uh, this one is set in 2030, which makes it contemporaneous with Black Racer, Justice League Dark, Superman of Metropolis, Midnighter, Mr. Miracle, Superman War- Worlds of War, and Nubia. And to be clear, uh, most of it, the, like the main part of the story takes place there. There is a significant flashback to six years before that. Yes. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Um. This is written by Brandon Thomas, art is by Danielle Samperi, colors are by Adriano Lucas, and letters by Clayton Cowles. What did you think of this one, Brian? Um, this was simultaneously, like, the story that it told was kind of exactly what I expected. Mm-hmm. But, like, just kind of how they presented it and, and the way they told it surprised me a bit, and I can't say I hate it. Right off the bat, and I I don't know that this actually holds up through the issue as a whole in exactly this way. Yeah. But right off the bat, in those first couple of pages, the first thing this made me think of was Saladin Ahmed's Black Bolt. Oh, I can totally see that. Um, And I, I don't hate that. Even if it's just kind of giving us that little taste at first. Yep. That, that idea of... Uh, that idea of Jackson being held in prison for no real discernible reason, right. making his escape for his own caught. good. I mean, and yeah, according to them, right? Yeah. Um, I always like, love that justification. You're <laughs> yeah. making a prisoner for your own good. What? Yeah. What? Welcome to the prison industrial complex. Hey, wait, is this run by Lex Luthor? I would not be surprised, frankly. Remember the uh, Wonder Twins? <laughs> the, yep. Yeah, there you go. He, he, look, he at least owns some stakes in the corporation that's probably behind this prison. <laughs> right, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh-huh. Now, so the, uh, I, I want to talk, so the flashback part of this is kind of Jackson training uh, Andy. Yes. Right? And that's really the part that is what I expected. Yeah. Right. That's the story that like I and I, you know, expected her to kind of be fractious against his training and like all of those things are there. Right. Yeah. What I didn't expect is this kind of where it opens with him prisoner, you know, six years later and what happens to her at the end of this kind of flashback thing and what that means. Like. I was like, oh, that's very different, and I am all 100% down for this. Yeah, and we, we know this happens before Justice League. Yep. And I think it's safe to, I know we both kind of err on these are all a single timeline, or at least branches of a single timeline. Yeah. But I think it is safe to assume that this is directly in line with Justice League, because... Uh, do you remember what in ju- what in this issue Justice League referenced? Uh, it is is it what she does to herself when that squid picks her up and carries her away? It's the confluence as a whole. Oh, the confluence. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Yeah, in we haven't talked about what the confluence is, but if you recall Correct. in Justice League, yep. uh, when she is like video chatting with her parents after the meeting, yep. 
they mention that they are in the confluence with Jackson, but can get back if she needs them. Right. Uh, the confluence is basically a space-time ocean that connects all the oceans. Which has been hinted at previously in Aquaman, right? Yeah, we've we've certainly right. seen, like, a mythology that supports this. Correct. And it, because, it, like, it had to do with, like, area, even going back in Atlantis to Arion, and, like, when he called, you know, people from across the confluence, or, I don't think they called it the confluence then, but, like, people from across this intergalactic connected ocean. Yeah. Well, it's what responded. we saw in yeah. the, the Justice League Aquaman crossover. Yep, exactly. During Snyder's run. Yep. On exactly. Justice League. Yeah. Uh, but I got to go back and look at the Justice League book now. Uh-huh. Um, did Andy have a prosthetic left lower leg? I can grab my copy real quick and check. Uh, I can, I can open it. I got it here. Hold on. Okay. Uh, let's see. Let's go here. Let's go to... If I just look up Future State, I can probably get it very quickly. Uh, let's see. Future State... Justice League. I want that one. Because, uh, yeah, that shocked me a bit when she uh, did that little move. If memory serves, she's, like, wearing pants or tights or something like that. So we just may not know. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, she's wearing kind of a unitar. Yeah, we just don't know. Yeah. She's wearing, like, the uh, this solid green kind of Mara-ish outfit. Yeah. Um, of okay. course, it's it's... Also a nice callback to the time Aquaman had to cut off his own arm. Yeah. This just proves the Curries are the Skywalkers of the ocean. <laughs> um but yeah, like how how that was how that was left, that flashback was left, and then what we are given to understand it means now to Jackson in in the future. Um, who definitely goes all Samson. Yeah. <laughs> on him, um, is, I, I, I don't know that this is my favorite future state book, but it might be the one that I'm most looking forward to the next issue of. Yeah, I could see that. Right. Because like, holy crap, I gotta know what happens now. <laughs> this one's definitely up there for me. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I've actually thought about trying to rank them and throw that on twitter or the website somewhere just after after month one god that would be so hard it would be so hard let's move on to suicide squad the main feature here is set in 2030 it is written by robbie thompson with art by javier fernandez colors by alex sinclair and letters by wes abbott also it's on earth three it is and by far the strangest justice league we've been introduced to yet Yes, that is I'm sorry, 100% Justice true. Squad we've been introduced yes. to. Um, I had to double check how things lined up here because if you remember in Flash we got a reference to the Justice or sorry, the Suicide Squad being sent over to 2030. Mhm. But Flash is actually set in 2027, so I wonder if maybe these published years are a little more fluid. I think we've got some other evidence that they are potentially more fluid than than what the future state sampler uh, 
maybe implied. Well, I mean, the other thing to remember is, you know, potentially there is, you know, time that before they actually get sent or we don't know how long they've been here prepping for this part. Sure. Or, yeah. So. Uh, but just maybe a grain of salt in all these times, even though we're organizing sure. that way. Sure. Uh, yeah, so we have, do we want to, do we want to bang through this roster really quickly? Uh, I think we can get through the roster fast enough. Sure. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> We've got Connor Kent as Superman. Yep. And let's just say Connor Kent partially raised or finishing his being raised by Amanda Waller is an absolutely fucking horrible idea. <laughs> so, so, so bad. Oh my word. Um then uh instead of Martian Manhunter, we have another shapeshifter of sorts. <laughs> this made me laugh. This was this was my favorite one. We have Clayface as Martian Manhunter. <laughs> okay. Just absolutely wild. Uh yeah. Uh we have um an Australian Teen Titan who known as Bolt, who is Flash. Yep. Uh, we have uh, an, a, a, a Xenoform, so a, an alien ocean creature. Maybe he's from the Confluence. Uh, as Aquaman. Uh, specifically, um, it's being controlled by, so uh, whoever the hell he is, he's controlled by the Xenoform that used to look like a helmet. Now I think it's that ugly fucking shirt. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah, so fish, so it, it is Fisherman, right? Yes. Um, which who was in the crime syndicate. He's the only crime syndicate m person that's here, right? Well, we see some others, well, uh, maybe. eventually. Yeah, but I mean, that's in this. That's in this roster, this yeah. roster of Justice Squad, right? Yeah. Um, there's Hypnotic Woman, who is presenting herself through illusion as Wonder Woman. Yep. Uh. And then William Cobb as Batman. The Talon. Damn. <laughs> Even fascism needs its foot soldiers. <laughs> like, damn. Oof. That is And it is. Yeah. When when the good when the good people, which I mean it is our three, so I guess this fits, right? When the yeah. good folks are Sinestro and Brainiac and Mongal <laughs> who is Starfire as Mongol, I guess. Yep, that's <laughs> exactly how I read it. Okay, that's wow. Oh man, this is this is a wild ride. Yeah. Um, and let's so just the, say, uh, the Amanda Waller of Earth Three is nowhere near as hesitant to uh, execute on her threats as the Amanda Waller of Earth Zero. No, no, she is not. Uh, but the good news is. There, there is a group uh, on its way to mess with Amanda Waller's machinations. Yeah. The Suicide Squad. The Suicide Squad, yeah. Um, yeah, and they don't, they don't all make it either, because apparently uh, being on Earth-3 is poisonous to them? I guess we're maybe bringing back some version of the Earth-3 is antimatter. Okay. That's that's the the simplest explanation to me, right? Like maybe, maybe there was that period of time where Earth three was the antimatter Earth, and 
too much contact between Earth three and Earth one would yep. kill. Yeah. Uh yeah, uh, this is a different suicide squad. Yes. Yeah. Led by Peacemaker, which I'm down for. Yeah, I, I think this is more or less the roster who we see in the April solicitations. Yeah, I think I think it is, yeah. Uh, which makes sense because that's also Robbie Thompson right. writing. Yep. Uh, yeah, I'm all I'm all down for this. Yep. Uh, that this also makes maybe that solicitation a little more ominous because that starts off with Amanda Waller trying to recruit Connor. Right. Yes. Yeah. Don't let that happen. No. <laughs> Please. No. Um. Yeah. Then we have our second feature here, which is Black Adam. Uh huh. This is set in the year 82,020. <laughs> the 853rd century. What? Um, okay, 821st, I think. Nope, I'm looking. Watchtower Mogo, 853rd century. Oh. Now, I don't know well, when that's from, but, you know, I don't know where the calendar's counting from at that point. But you know. Oh, that's fair. Yeah. Um, um, can I say, though, that the idea of the living planet Mogo as the JLA Watchtower is primo. Look, I am always here for Mogo. Anytime Mogo wants to be at the table, or I guess holding the table, Mogo is welcome. Um. Well, like, damn, yeah. You need a Green Lantern in the Justice League? Get a whole planet. <laughs> yeah. I love it. I love it. Um, I love that we learn that have we ever heard this? I don't know that we have, but you know what an idea just occurred to me that is like the coolest thing I've thought of in a long time? What's that? Well, because Green Lanterns are all about their willpower, right? What if the willpower of Mogo is dependent on the will collective willpower of all the people inhabiting him at the time? I don't think that's how Mogo works, but I, don't I think, think that's a either. super cool idea. Right? Jump on that. Creative yeah. teams? <laughs> yeah. I love that. Like, I guess you would have some kind of hive mind species, Could and be. if one of them is the Green Lantern, all of them is the all of them are the Green Lantern. Sort of, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, we. Um, TM TM TM. Call us, DC. Sure, you got it. <laughs> call Brian. I'm not going to claim his idea. Um, no, I came up with it on the show, so it's technically panelology. Okay, the whole yeah. That's right. I forgot about that writer in your contract. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, you got it. Uh, I love that we learn that here in the far, far future, Wonder Woman and Teth Adam are a thing. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know that this is Diana. I don't know that it's not, though, because Diana's still alive. Sure. It's let's, it's an interesting look for her if it is. Well, you know, um, a lot maybe has happened in the last 80,000 years. <laughs> sure. Sure. Um, we had, we had speculated at perhaps what the uh, solicited threat from the past that would show up here might be. As it turns out, it's maybe the threat that makes the most sense. Maybe. It's the seven deadly sins. Sure. Well. And friends. And friends. <laughs> That's exactly what I was going to say, yes. Yeah. And friends, including a very old-looking Vandal Savage. Yeah. And who is with Vandal Savage? This was, like, my, maybe my favorite. I was like, oh, damn. <laughs> it's Tickle. Yes. Who is... <laughs> 
the familiar of Clarion, former familiar of Clarion, because he ate Clarion, the witch boy. Frankly, I think that actually moves Tikal from being villain to hero. <laughs> As opposed to hero turned villain, Dove. Yeah. Wow. You know what? If I had to put up with Hawk all the time, too, though. Yeah, that's that's definitely fair. That's definitely fair. Okay. Am I the only one noticed when they when they so that this whole group collectively, so these characters and the the sin, um, are collectively uh, known as the unkindness, right? Or is the unkindness that particular being? That's my question. I think the unkindness is the the entity. Okay. The the group. And on the unkindness's chest, is that very definitely some sort of uh, Shazam bolt? Because it kind of looks that way to me. Or Shazam-ish bolt. You're talking about the the child? Nope, not the child. The the black silhouette figure with the four eyes and... Oh, I thought that was child. Oh, no. Child is the one uh, kind of behind him that's like the praying mantis-looking arms and... Oh, I guess you're right. Yeah. Oh, that one doesn't have... That doesn't name. have their own name. That hints the reason I was wondering if they are that specific entity is the unkindness right i guess you're right that probably is the unkindness okay yes so it's the unkindness the last lords of chaos right there you go and the seven deadly sins yes yes so that entity is that entity i think is the unkindness okay and And that does look like some sort of black lightning bolt it does, uh, and there's definitely some um, female proportions drawn on this character. Sure. Um, and there's four eyes. Which... And what looked like maybe some sort of mandible parts around uh, maybe, the mouth. Like, I'm really wondering if this is Raven. Oh, I get it. An unkindness of... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right? You know? I think you're onto something there, Brian. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it's specifically because Pride looks a whole lot like Donna Troy. I'm just going to have to keep this page yeah, open. Yeah, just keep this page open because we're going to talk about these just because like I want to I want to go through a couple of these things here. Okay. Pride does have a very Donna vibe, you're right. Greed very much looks like Mr. Mitzel Spitlick or maybe like an old toy man. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely got a tiny bowler hat. Um, let's see. Uh, I'm gonna go with toy man because of the backpack full of guns. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. That's very fair. Um, we've got Envy, who may be a form of the Riddler of some sort. Maybe. And please tell me Lust is... uh, I don't know. I don't know who Lust is. Well, that red hair certainly makes me think of Wally West. Right, maybe. But... And this was the thing I went back and double-checked. Oh, it's no. not the seven deadly sins in Teen Titans. It is the four horsemen. Oh, you're right. You're right. Um, yeah. The other thing is, I think somebody said something. Hold on, let me check this real quick. So I think it's at the back real quick when Wonder Woman is fighting them. Um, yeah, so Lust is a female. Because Wonder Woman says her touch, it's intoxicating. Gotcha. So I don't know who that is. And you know, as I look at this too, kind of the sort of purple fire coming up behind the unkindness is very sort of Raven spreading her cloak. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I think you're right. I don't really have any doubt, in fact, that you're right. (laughs) 
but yeah, this is just the this is this is a mess. I wow. A good like they are in a mess. The oh, issue is not yeah. a mess. Oh yes. no 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 yeah 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 no absolutely. Uh, I I love the fact that there is a cyber asteroid world that is an mm-hmm. artificial world that calculated the odds of surviving this the arrival of this group of people and just decided to self detonate and just yeah. blow itself up. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh. That's one way to do it. That that feels very Mark Russell, right. in fact. It does. Uh, odds of survival are, nope, we're good. <laughs> See ya! Um, we also have, like, Superman lives in the sun. Yes. And he is, like, gold Superman now. Yeah. Because he's absorbed so much solar radiation. Yeah. Um, I am... I am really interested to see what the second half of this brings, especially with Wonder Woman's little revelation at the end. Uh, yeah. Yeah, well, and so she, like, her skin is like, she, uh, her skin makes me think of Platinum, the, the, uh, yeah. the metal man. But we find out at some point she says something about she's literally a statue brought to life, which makes yeah. me wonder if it's Diana, because, you know, that, who knows? <laughs> well, and maybe, maybe it's not. But... Right. And then uh, let's just say Wrath makes a tactical error. <laughs> Oops. Yep. Oopsie. Uh, yeah. Oh, I, I do. I really, really, really love this. Uh, and then what may be my favorite thing of the whole thing is the character that shows up on the last page. How have these two characters never been combined into a single entity before? You know, I don't know, but having... Having read uh, April and Ma- uh, March and April solicitations, uh-huh. that character will be in Infinite Frontiers oh in The Flash. Which I is, uh, like, maybe the most exciting character concept I, I have seen in a very long time. Agreed. 100%. Very yeah. much here for it. Yep. Let's talk now about Superman versus Imperious Lex number one, which definitely wins for best title. <laughs> yep. Um, speaking of Mark Russell, right? Yep. <laughs> we are we are in the year twenty fifty, uh, which is the same time that Kara Zor El Superwoman and Yara Floor happen. Mm-hmm. Mark Russell wrote this. Artist is Steve Pugh, colorist is Romulo Fayardo Jr., and letterer is Carlos M. Mangual. Um, yeah. Uh, we have the United Planets. Their headquarters is on, uh, Earth. In Metropolis, in fact. Uh-huh. Um, and apparently Lois Lane is now the Earth's representative to the United States. Yeah. Which I'm totally down for. Uh, especially given, I think it's interesting in... There's been so many different uh, kind of, like, deceased, right? And other mm-hmm. things where, uh, recently, where Lois Lane has been presented and kind of stepped up as, like, a major leadership role of, like, Earth or the remaining forces or... Yeah. Yeah. I think that's super interesting. You know, we've had President Superman. Right. Who I love. Uh-huh. We've had Lex Luthor as president, which is, I think, a fun plot line. Mm-hmm. But the one that, frankly, at the end of the day is most realistic is probably Lois Lane as president. Sure. Sure. I could absolutely see, like, 
Lois Lane being, you know what? I can only do so much writing about what's happening. Let me get my hands dirty and actually make things happen. Well, especially I can, and I can see her specifically in this role as, Mm -hmm. you know, Earth's ambassador, because it, it seems like the United Planets, which her son kind of instigated, right? Yep is something that isn't, uh, for lack of a better word, corrupted by politics like yeah. so many other organizations are, at least it's not more yet. It's aspirational. There you go. That's fair. That's a good way to place yeah. it. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Sorry, I'm laughing at the, um, w- when they envision um, cutting off Luther's new planet and, and like quarantining it, essentially, uh-huh. embargoing it, right? That they they have a sign on the moon of the planet that says "planet unavailable until further notice." Yeah, <laughs> like that's such a Mark Russell thing. It's like God. an exit ramp closed. <laughs> exactly. Sign. Sorry, folks. Parks closed. Yeah. Moon out front. Should have told you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Lex Luthor has his own planet. It wants to join the United Planets. Mm-hmm. Um. Everyone laughs this off, and then Superman shows up. And says, yeah, uh, so turns out he was raiding all these other planets with his robots. I shut down that operation. And now he wants to join basically because he's out of resources and doesn't want his people to murder him. Yeah. So, uh, you know, one, I, I love this concept of Lex went to the furthest edge of the galaxy he could find to get away from Superman. Mm-hmm. Right? Space New Zealand, if you will. Sure. <laughs> Space New Zealand. And you know, set himself up as ruler of this planet and, yeah, made these robots to go out and and basically strip mine other planets for all their resources. All of his citizens are living super, super well. They all Mm -hmm. love him. Uh, They are, you know, uh, imagine a super oil-rich country where all the citizens are amazingly wealthy and have a great life. Uh, Now, when you say super oil-rich, you mean oil-rich because they have gone and stolen the oil from a bunch of other countries. Sure could be. Okay. Imagine (laughs) a country like that. Yeah. Um, And, uh, yeah, his people all love him. And when Superman shows up and has destroyed their robots that go out and, you know, do this harvesting for them, and then come down and destroy the factory, all the people hate him. Yep. All the people on this planet hate him because, you know, they had a good life. Not realizing, and probably in some cases not caring that it was on the backs of others. Well, this is why ultimately Superman is like, no, we need to, we need to let, let Lexor enter the United Planets because right. his people are pawns in all of this. Right. It feels in a lot of ways like Mark Russell is writing about what do you do with the people who have been fleeced by, let's say, certain contemporary fascist leaders? Well, and even those who are passively in support or 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 do support, right? Mm-hmm. The, these leaders. Um, the point is, if you react to them the way they would react to you, then how are you better? Right? Yeah. Like. Yeah, I get that it's harder to extend a hand and accept, and but the only way to change people is to show them the right way to behave. I mean, yeah, yeah. Well, and to remember that a lot of them, not all, there are bad actors who are helping everywhere. But yeah. the the average person who gets pulled into a movement like this, correct, is pulled into it, is not, operating right. be, on 
bad information that they are given by someone else. Correct. Does it account for racism, etc., that you find in the real world? No, obviously not. But the the propaganda side of it is really what I think he's he's on to. I do. I agree with you. Yeah. It, so anyway, very interesting. Of course, it is Mark Russell writing, and yeah, yeah. And finally, for future state, Legion of Superheroes number one. Uh, in the year 3000, further into the year 3000, uh, written by Brian Michael Bendis, or we'll say the 31st century, the, the, the time jump from, the time jump from the regular Legion book is intentionally nebulous. Written by Brian Michael Bendis, art by Riley Rosmo, colors by Ivan Placencia, and letters by Dave Sharp. This is, I think, the issue that trades the most on the reader asking holy fuck what's going on well that yeah because that's certainly the question i'm asking like i (laughs) I don't yeah um you are not caught up on legion yet are you uh not completely no i'm i think about three or four issues back yeah so if you if you read the back of this issue bendis talks about well, what do you do when you're already writing a book set in the future? You set it further in the future. But being intentionally uh, vague about how much further in the future this is, it could be weeks, it could be years. Um, in this this interview, which I, I'm sure by now he has an answer to this, but at least in the interview he plays coy about who knows, maybe we don't go back to the timeline we were in when Legion comes back. Maybe we just stick with this timeline. Or this this point in time. All of that, I think, plays in in what, for me at least, is kind of a fun way on... Wait, did we miss the Great Darkness coming? Because Legion has been lately about this Great Darkness that is on the horizon. Did it already happen? Are we past it? Is is kind of the question I'm asking. Is this... Is whatever Element Lad did related, related to, to the Great Darkness? Or yeah. was it what they're calling the Great Darkness? Um, this is, I think, one of the very few future state books that you actually get more out of from having read what came before it in the series than just starting on it cleanly. I think even more so than, say, Batman or Catwoman. Yeah. Uh, basically, at this point, the United Planets have collapsed uh it sounds like they lasted months or sorry the legion has collapsed it sounds like they have lasted months the united planets have also collapsed it's all element lads doing maybe um and basically just everything is kind of in tatters and you see different factions trying to form and either fill a leadership vacuum on individual planets or reestablish the legion or you know find some way through the chaos can i say my favorite character a character moment in this is i'm gonna call her triplicate girl yes is it the three panels but it's her whole storyline of this gotcha of we find out that one of her one of her parts yeah one of her selves is gone and like there's a uh there's a you know like one of them is like oh we've been toying with calling ourselves duo damsel right yeah which is kind of a a, a, you know a a joke but they're talking and she says uh she is asked when was the last time you two merged 
And that she's like, we try not to do that anymore if we can. It's better that way. That's when we really feel her missing. Well, and that that line is spread yeah. out over the three panels. Yep. I was I was alluding and because to. there's one in there's the one in one of them in the first panel, one of them in the second panel, and then nobody in the third panel. Yeah, yeah, it's like super. Yeah, oh, that is that. And then what has to be the best use of Bouncing Boy of all time? <laughs> Bar, none. Bar none. I absolutely believe it. Bouncing Boy is just like going full juggernaut on a space fleet. He's literally bouncing between space starships, exploding them as he goes through, like pinballing off of them. I was about to say, if there were a legion of superheroes pinball machine, he would be the ball. Of course. Of course he would. Yeah. I love it. I Uh, also like this kind of really unsettling floating head amorphous body Brainiac 8. (laughs) Yes. Um, Agreed. There's a lot of cool character design here. I think Triplicate Girl's character design is great. I also really love uh, Saturn Girl's weird Mega Man cosplay design. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Like, I've seen this design in a lot of the promo material for Future State. I did not realize until reading this that, oh, that is Saturn Girl. I expected that to be some kind of villain. Yeah. I still don't know that I can totally answer what the fuck is going on. Yeah, I don't know that I can either. Uh, but this is I definitely the, the most out there of the books. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I am also really curious to see what does Bindus decide to do when when Legion returns, yep. which has still not been solicited. One more DC book. Uh, this is not Future State, uh, but I wanted to at least briefly talk about the other history of the DC Universe number two. Which I'm about halfway through. Story by John Ridley, layouts by Giuseppe Camincoli, finishes by Andrea Cucci, colors are by Jose Villarubia, and letters are by Steve Wands. I loved the first one. I might actually like this one even more. This one's really cool. I think this, and this, uh, this I think has something going for it that the first one didn't. I, I bet it's the same thing that I'm about to point to. What the is fact it, that we have two narrators for it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The... The thing that makes this stand out over the first one to me is that it is not a conversation between Karen and Mal, but each of them is writing their own narrative and sort of responding to what the other says in these chunks of narrative. Yeah, I agree. Um, And and it does. It gives us... It's a much more powerful storytelling tool, I think. Yeah. Um, Well, because you get those different perspectives. Like, Mal will say something, and she'll say... Yeah, he's not wrong, but you also need to know this, or, yeah. Well, and it, it to that ends, like, it, it does not play into the idea of an unreliable narrator, because I don't think either of them is unreliable. You're just getting, what is the truth for each of them? Correct. And because this is also not just about their place in history, but their relationship with each other. Yep. Seeing where their truths are different and then where they kind of come back in line gives us, I think, so much about what works about their relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, even even in the moments where like they're most in opposition, where it just kind of ends with Mal going, damn, that's cold. <laughs> um, I, I... Surprised is not the right word for... for 
how I feel about this series because I think it makes sense that you've got someone who is a really strong writer coming in and telling well-researched stories and they're being this good. But I think it stands out as something totally unique. I agree. Uh, it It is definitely unique. Yeah. Um, in a good way, in my opinion. Yes, yeah. absolutely. It's... <sighs> If you're not reading the individual issues of this, when it is collected, please check it out. Oh, yeah. This is, yeah, this this would be a super, super powerful collected gift to give to someone, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the only other thing that kind of s- struck me in this one that I think is worth mentioning is Supergirl actually plays kind of a a role in this narrative as well. I was surprised to see her as sort of connective tissue between the books. These characters' responses to her showing up, and then Jefferson's responses to, oh, here's another super person. I I haven't gotten that far through it yet. Okay. I will. Um, That, I think that stands out to me here because, if not entirely, then almost exclusively, uh, sorry, Karen is the one to talk about Supergirl. And it is a very sort of intersectional approach to, look, we've got nothing alike, but I hate that she's had this sort of cloistered experience. Yeah. Because she could have learned so much more if she were in with the Titans or in with just other young female superheroes and not raised off to the side by a dude. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Check it out if you haven't. At some point, you absolutely need to. So good. Brian. Yes. Uh, there was a great segue a few books back to talk to this. <laughs> and uh, you know what? Sometimes you just have to let them fly by. Yep. Tell me about An Unkindness of Ravens, number yeah. five. So this is written How, by... However did you piece together who that character might be? <laughs> uh, this is written by Dan Panosian. Uh, illustrated by Mariana Ignazi, colored by Fabiana Mascolo, and lettered by Mike Fiorentino. Um, this is book five of four. So <laughs> this was originally scheduled to be four, and uh, they needed to stretch it out a bit. Uh, in this one, we get uh, we get Wilma coming to full realization and, and meeting someone who is able to kind of explain everything to her. So she now kind of has the whole story um, and what she chooses to do with that, um, you know, uh, and, and we definitely get the two sides of this faction set up. Uh, we have the Ravens on one side and we have uh, the Survivors. Yeah, the Survivors is what they call themselves. Uh, and essentially what we find out is the this dates all the way back to like the Salem Witch Trials, right? where uh, the forerunners of the survivors uh, funnily enough uh, accused you know the the witches there in Salem who became their descendants became the ravens um and so it, it's very definitely a where those in power have rewritten the narrative to vilify you know those who they wanted to you know ostracize uh, and that for the most part, the Ravens and their descendants and all this never wanted any of this. They just wanted to have their lives, but, you know, uh, didn't have much of a choice in it. Uh, and we get Wilma stepping into her place in the Ravens, 
and a very, very shocking revelation on the last page, which leads me to think that they certainly have set this up where there could be more in the future if they if, if it's successful. Cool. Very much enjoyed this, though. Awesome. I want to do a very quick King in Black roundup. Okay. Uh, we have a pair of issues this week. First is Daredevil number 26 which is really pulling double duty as continuing the Daredevil story while also uh, tying in to King and Black. If you are not totally caught up on this, you might want to jump forward, I don't know, a couple minutes, because uh, I will talk about a big spoiler from a recent issue. With Matt in prison, uh, we see Elektra as Daredevil dealing with the... Uh, king and black symbiotes in the street and uh really there are kind of three threads to this we see hers which is is pretty straightforward but is really her dealing with the weight of wearing the mantle of daredevil there's a kingpin thread which is uh, about kingpin and typhoid mary who is i guess his bodyguard now uh and they are at an event when king and black strikes and uh kingpin is rushed to safety but while she is fighting off the king and black she gets taken and and nullified uh and then we have matt in prison sensing you know hearing the sound of chatter about the the symbiotes coming in and smelling them and hearing them uh and then like begging the guards to let him help fight and uh i'll i'll leave it there but he he gets his wish uh and that was written by chips darsky with pencils by marco cicetto and mike hawthorne inks by adriano de benedetto colors by mario mintz and letters by clayton cowles then we have deadpool number 10 which i was i'm going to say forlorn to learn is the last issue of Deadpool to be oh, written no. by Kelly Thompson. Uh, pencils were by Gerardo Sandoval. Inks by Victor Nava and Gerardo Sandoval. Colors by Chris Sotomayor. And letters by Joe Sabino. This is... <laughs> uh, appropriately self-referential. Uh, Deadpool has to fight some king and black dragons and builds a team of monster island monsters to help him do so uh, along with elsa bloodstone and of course jeff if you have ever wanted to see a nullified jeff you will oh, get to see that here my god i can't wait but uh the 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 bit of self-referential and honestly really clever storytelling is at one point Deadpool's like, yeah, so we had a much longer plan for this, but sometimes books get canceled. The good news is, when we made our prophecy like eight issues ago about me getting eaten by a dragon, um, we had other plans for that, but hey, it's a dragon, so I can tie up this loose end. Um, uh, it's, it's a fantastic hey, you issue. Know they, you know what they say, never look a gift dragon in the mouth. That's right. <laughs> or he'll eat you. <laughs> Unless you are Donkey from Shrek. <laughs> then he'll just want waffles. Waffles? Pancakes? Was it, which waffles. Was it? Waffles. It's okay. waffles. I thought it was, but then I waffled. <laughs> 
Um, anyway, it was a really solid issue, and I'm going to guess, I'm going to go out on the limb and guess the most fun you'll have with a King in Black issue. Not uh, surprising. And finally, we visit Krakoa, as is ritual for us now. As is. First up, we have New Mutants, number 15. This is written by Vita Ayala, with art by Rod Reese, letters by Travis Lanham, and designed by Tom Muller. I love this book so incredibly much. Me too. And this, what's so interesting is how much I loved it, even though this was 100% a character setup issue. Yeah. Yeah. And still I loved it. <laughs> there are a lot of moving parts for kind of establishing cast member status quos and what's going on with them. And yep. We don't see a lot of action. We see just hanging out before and during parties and talking. One day, somebody, some writer is going to let Rainy be happy for more than like five minutes. I I will be honest. I do not have a long history with the character, but I yeah. already very much want this for her. Come on. Yeah, like, like and th that literally, that has been her story is every time... Every time something good happens to her, it gets ripped away or she gets captured and mistreated or what. Like, she just can't, they can't let her stay happy for any length of time. I feel like there are certain characters who, who, and they're almost always female characters who just have to constantly be made miserable for storing it storytelling purposes and to be fair it's not always i i know why you would say that because i think they're they're easier to see that way but there are other characters like daredevil who was like that no absolutely right? yeah. and like i mean i've said the same thing about daredevil too before like yeah. the stories yeah. where he's allowed to grow and do something different and be happier are always yep. my favorites but i think there is out of the 70s and 80s in particular yes. like yes. a and where i was going was i think carol danvers was one of those characters mm -hmm. For example, um, Janet Van Dyne has been one of those characters. Definitely. And we've seen over the last... Donna Troy was. Donna Troy. <laughs> well, I don't know that Donna Troy supports exactly what I was about to say, which oh, is well, we've seen true. over the last few years, a lot of these characters start to get to move past just <laughs> yeah. those traumas. Yeah, um, I mean, you can look at you can look at Rogue and Scarlet Witch and their relationship, or Rogue and Captain Marvel and their relationship. Like, yep. there are even whole relationships that are kind of built that way. Agreed. Um, but fingers crossed that maybe finally she can move into that group who gets to gets to do more than have trauma inflicted upon. Well, and there's another character in here who we've been introduced to recently who's kind of being set up this way. And I'm hoping it, 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 like, they very quickly move her, which is cause. Yeah. Right? Uh, yeah. That's, uh, and the other thing that I liked about that storyline in here is, like, Danny doesn't, there's absolutely nothing wrong with what Danny says and from her perspective, but it doesn't take into account how cause feels. Yeah. It's, and I think what works about it, and I agree that, like, it doesn't need to become this character's whole identity. Right. But what works about it is it does feel like something just a normal human in the real world would work through at that age. Oh, I don't absolutely. like the way I look. My body has changed in these ways. And I feel like Danny's response is a very 
normal real world response that would be met exactly that way. Yeah. Yep. Um, also, Rod Reese's art. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Can beautiful. I tell you, and I, I don't know what it is about it, but can I tell you how much I love Doug and Bay together? And just the fact that her name is Bay. Like, yeah. Like, come on. Brother, that, was, like... that was 100% intentional going into this, by the way. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> There's just so much, I think, immediate appeal in that you could not pick two more different characters <laughs> who just kind of, like, fucking go with it and support each other. Yeah! It's it's so amazing. I love it. Um, I do wonder if we'll see Ronnie's plotline pick up in X-Factor at some point. That seems like seems it like it should. It does. Next up is Excalibur, number 17. This was written by Teeny Howard. Art is by Marcus Toe. Colors are by Eric Arseniega. Letters by Ariana Marr. And designed by Tom Muller. I guess we know where Betsy is now. We do. And can I tell you how much I want, even if it's just a miniseries of Queen Betsy in this world? Yes, uh, I, I tweeted, I don't know if you've seen the cover to Daredevil. Sorry, not Daredevil, Deadpool. Uh, um, I've got it here, I can look. Oh, but, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, both of them sitting on the throne like this. I need just, like, even a one-shot of Betsy as queen dealing with trade negotiations with Monster Island with Daredevil <laughs> as king. <laughs> You would get so damn frustrated so fast. Just absolutely immediately. But it would be hilarious. Um, Can I also tell you, like, just the setup of Warren is uh, uh, essentially the consort of Betsy in this world. Yeah. But they can't get married because he's American and not British. Um, But but his ex is Quanon. <laughs> And that is who he calls to bodyguard Betsy for the issue? <laughs> no matter what Earth you're on, Warren is always going to be out of touch. Like, you couldn't, you couldn't have just, which they did, obviously, they just created this, but you could not have, you could not have come up with something more awkward <laughs> In every possible way. I mean... Maybe the only thing that was more awkward is if Betsy and Quanon were somehow having some secret relationship themselves in this world and Betsy got thrown into it. <laughs> I don't know. It would have to be a menage a trois with... Right? Like, uh, oh my god. With Phantom X in the mix. <laughs> oh, shit. Which I guess at that point is like a menage a quint. <laughs> um... I but I love the scenes with Betsy and Quanon in this. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. It really is. Wolverine number nine has Wolverine going down to the auction. This is written by Benjamin Percy. Art is by Adam Kubert. Colors by Frank Martin. Letters and production by Corey Pettit. And design by you guessed it, Tom Muller. <laughs> I really appreciated. Not only just how kind of fun the premise of this issue is, mm -hmm. but also there is a good deal of plot happening in background of panels. Yes. That they don't make a huge meal out of. Nope. There's there's one moment that kind of highlights it, 
which led me to go back and look through every panel background before it. Um, Wolverine loses a little blood at one point uh-huh. and borrows a handkerchief from Kingpin, which he drops, and then a, a person with a peacock arm picks it up. Yep. Who we have seen before as the uh, person manipulating events in X-Factor. Yeah. Not X-Factor, X-Force. X-Force. Yep. Um, beyond that, this issue is about Wolverine trying to save Richter from the auction block. Can I say how... I am not normally a huge fan of... Not Richter. Maverick. Yeah, Maverick. Right. Um, uh, I'm not normally a huge fan of flashbacks, specifically of the ones that like, oh, you know, this was our time and that that, that are just explanation flashbacks. Yeah. Right. Uh I think this one uses it pretty well. I agree with you. This is I think the part of Wolverine as a character that I sort of struggled the most with in getting into reading Wolverine comics. The, Agreed, one hundred percent. I don't remember most of my history and therefore I can have these flashbacks as convenient character development deus ex machina whatever yep but here it's it's built on such a specific relationship that's not about any particular event it is used 100 percent for a singular purpose yeah and not like none of them are more than one page at a time which is also the right way to do it by the way i also want to talk about those those pages themselves which are what 16 panel yes they're 16 panel pages where, say, three-quarters of those panels are a single image that has been split up and is colored in kind of a desaturated way, with then panels that are happening concurrently as individual moments. Like, for instance, a page of Sabretooth being Sabretooth, but then with little snippets of conversation between Wolverine and Maverick that are colored more colored to be more this is happening in real time yeah uh i don't know that it translates to an audio medium super well but they are gorgeous gorgeous pages they are and like i said and they lead us to a specific point of uh, like a phrase that's used and why it's used and you know that is what wolverine needs now so yeah. like like I said, I, I think it's used very well here. I agree. Yeah. The last X-Men book out this week is X-Men number 17, uh, which is written by Jonathan Hickman, pencils are by Brett Booth, inks by Adelso Corona, art by Sonny Go, letters by Clayton Cowles, and design by Tom Muller. And we are not going to talk about it. Uh because Brett Booth has repeatedly been accused of sexual harassment and has made public statements that are uh wildly racist or xenophobic toward members of certain religions and we don't want to promote that so uh we're gonna sit this one out uh because of his inclusion on the creative team yeah and that brings us to is it still good Brian, pay attention. You've got one in here. I've got... Wait, wait, wait. I do? You do? No, I know. I, I know I do. Yeah, I'm process of elimination. You know which one it is, too. You <laughs> just have to listen for it. which one it is, yeah. Something is Killing the Children, number 14. We 
finally spend some quality time with the entity in Erica's doll. We only find them when they're dead, number five. We finally learn what caused the conflict between Georges and Paula. Batman, black and white, number two. Uh, there are five stories in this one. I am going to uh, point at a couple that I thought were really solid, although they were all very strong. Uh, there is a fun Catwoman story called All Cats Are Gray by Sophie Campbell uh, that is an entirely silent story that is just adorable and fun and a great Selena moment. Uh, and then there's a story called The Devil is in the Details, which is written and drawn by David Aha, that is uh, the rare exception to my frustration with horizontal page layouts in which... Aha has written and drawn a story entirely in 40s-style Batman comic strips from newspapers. Strange Adventures, number eight. The war with the Picts has come to Earth. Uh, and is not going great. The Department of Truth, number five. We learn maybe some more truth about our main character being groomed his entire life for his role in what's going on. Nailbiter Returns, number nine. Uh, the eyes have it. Oh. Oh. Uh, I also learned this week that that's the, the next issue of Nailbiter Returns is the last issue, and I am bummed. The Amazing Spider-Man, number 58. Brian. Um, Martin Lee returns to Feast. We get some insight into how things were from his perspective. Uh, Peter goes to have a conversation with Liz Allen about Harry. Uh, and Normie reveals that, uh, hmm. yeah, sorry, Mom, things aren't what you thought they were. And Spider-Man confronts some uh, demons. Captain Marvel, number 25. We learn that not even Amora the Enchantress is immune to a parent's love for their child. Fantastic Four, number 28. Uh, we see some nullification that has nothing to do with null. Shang-Chi, number 5. Uh, Shang-Chi and his sister work through their family trauma, uh, and he takes his place in the uh, uh, family. He's trying to find a way not to use the word family twice, but whoops. Sometimes you gotta do. Sometimes you, you gotta. Do what you gotta do. Yeah. Strange Academy number seven. Emily learns about her actions' costs, both magical and non. Mm. This week's books, Brian. We've got a bunch this week. Okay. Let's do it. Um, the quick future state rundown. Harley Quinn number two. Stephanie Phillips, Simone DeMeo, and Tony Infante. Yes. Superman of Metropolis number two with a. Main story by Sean Lewis and John Timms, Guardian by Sean Lewis and Coley Hamner, and Mr. Miracle by Brandon Easton and Valentin Delandro. Swamp Thing number two from Rom V and Mike Perkins. The Flash number two from Brandon Vietti and Brandon Peterson. The Next Batman number three with a main feature by John Ridley and Laura Braga. Outsiders by Brandon Thomas and Sumit Kumar. And Arkham Knights by Paul Jenkins and Jack Herbert. And Wonder Woman number two by Joel Jones. Yes. Uh, some non-future state stuff. Deep Beyond number one of twelve from Mirka Andolfo and Andrea Bricardo. Uh, 
I'm getting some like eldritch horror in space vibes from what I've seen about this book. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just in general, if it's Mirka Andolfo, I'm going to check it out. Uh, Luna, number one of five. This made both our lists. It's by Maria Jove. Tell me about it, Ryan. Uh, this is, uh, it's uh, solicited for fans of Faithless and Die. Um, it is about uh, a girl named Teresa who uh, is plagued by prophetic dreams and tries to figure out what's going on. And uh, there's uh, apparently a whole world that she's getting into with immortality and magic and alchemy. And it sounds cool. King in Black, Black Knight comes out this week as well. This is by Cy Spurrier and Jesus Saiz uh, and is, is being touted as sort of updating the Black Knight for uh, hopefully a more prominent role in Marvel Comics. Uh, certainly expecting him to have a more prominent role in the MCU with him being a figure in Eternals. Yeah. Fear Case number one. Tell me about it, Brian. Uh, yeah, that's Matt Kent uh, with art by Tyler Jenkins. There is a no-nonsense Secret Service agent, and his partner is a New Age uh, uh, person. So a uh, very, you know, kind of odd couple-ish uh, thing. And they're tasked with investigating the fact that there is this case called the Fear Case that has shown up at, like, some of the greatest disasters and tragedies throughout history. Cool. Yeah. And finally, Spectre Inspectors, number one of five. Yeah, this is written by uh, Bowen McCurdy and Caitlin Musto, and the art is by Bowen McCurdy. And this is uh, this is from Boom, and this is very much uh, like a kind of modern retelling, regrouping of like a Scooby-Doo gang type. They uh, investigate ghosts and mysteries and... Yeah. Awesome. I believe that does it. Do you have anything else, Brian? I got nothing else, man. In that case, we would like to thank Chase Parker for our intro voiceover. You can visit us at panelologypodcast.com. Support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash panelology. Get merch at bit.ly slash merch, capital P, capital M. Or send us questions and comments at bit.ly slash mailbag capital p capital m uh if you've listened to all of the outro i'll also give you a heads up later this week you'll get an april solicitations episode from Jin and me look for that probably thursday ish i'm alex and i am brian go read those sweet sweet comics (laughs) 